Hey, Rip City, this is Jeremy Grant, and you're listening to Section 113 with Travis Demers and Michael Holton. Welcome into the Section 113 podcast, everybody. Along with Michael Holton, I'm Travis Demers. We took a little you know, hiatus last week with the Thanksgiving holiday, but we're right back at it, and a lot of stuff has happened over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, usually, Michael, the first thing you do after the holiday, how was your holiday? What did you do? But I feel like we're so far past that now. Like, Thanksgiving now feels like it was a month ago. Yeah, the turkey's gone, you know, and, 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 and the window for eating leftovers expired some time ago, so... Thanksgiving is in the rearview mirror for sure. So now moving forward, the Blazers are two games into this four-game road trip, a tough loss at Milwaukee, and then a really good win against the Indiana Pacers. And in the last couple of weeks since we've had a chance to do a podcast like this, like we said, a lot has happened. There was the worst loss of the season at home against Oklahoma City, a game that was never competitive. It was tough to watch. I'm sure it was tough to listen to. I'm sure it was tough to play in. And then right after that, You get back Malcolm Brogdon, you get back Scoot Henderson, and you put together a stretch of four straight games where you play really well. At Phoenix, in a loss, come back home, you blow out Utah in the most complete win of the season to that point. Then you go on the road, you have a 26-point lead against the Milwaukee Bucks. Tough second half, didn't work out. And then the next day, You come back, you beat the Indiana Pacers when they had some chances late in that game to win, and they hold on, they win the game by four, Malcolm Brogdon hits a big shot, here you are, now you've got Cleveland and Utah to finish up this trip, blah, blah, blah. So all all of that stuff has happened in the last two weeks, okay? You move on, the in-season tournament, we know now an extra game against Golden State, an extra game against Dallas. When you look at these last couple of weeks and the extreme lows and some pretty extreme highs in there as well, what is the first thing that stands out to you? Uh, the resiliency of the group, because you point out the highs and the lows. I thought the Oklahoma City game that the Blazers were blown out in was not necessarily a low point, but the poorest effort of the year. You know, and this team uh, has to play very hard every night uh, to be in games, and, and there's no secret about that, and that's no knock on this team. I think Chauncey has been clear uh since he's been the coach of the Blazers, the type of effort that he wanted to see out on the floor. And this team seems to be buying into how hard they have to play and scrap and, and generate offense off their defense and easy basket categories. And so I think the constant Travis has been the effort. The effort has been constant. There's been some games. The Milwaukee game stands out as a game that the Blazers played extremely well for 24 minutes. I mean, you get up on the road against Milwaukee by 26, you're doing something right. And I think what we're seeing in this team, and the reason why I use the word resiliency is because a lot of teams would have not been able to respond to blowing a 26-point lead the next night on the road like this team did. Yeah, and with that, uh, there are a couple things I want to get circled back to, but since you brought that up, I want to play something from DeAndre Ayton where he talked about that. That loss we had in Milwaukee, you know, we didn't let go of that on how we played. Um, Unfortunately, it was a a loss that, you know – that don't make you sleep, but at the same time, we did a lot of great things, as in, you know, defending the ball and playing it, competing with a, a championship team. Um, you know, knowing that we are young, a team that's, you know, very inexperienced, but, you know, we competed to the best of our abilities and, you know, we stayed together. And you've seen the inexperienced things, you know, down the stretch, but, you know, that's where we locked in tonight's game, where it was a close game throughout the whole game. And, you know, we tried our best to stay focused in the clinch time. In the, in clinch time. So he said that loss stuck with them. 
right? And they've got to come back the next day and play another game against Indiana. But you, you and I have talked about this, right? And I've, we've heard this so many times. How can they possibly come back after that game and play a game today? I, I saw on social media people were talking about the Blazers were going to lose that game against Indiana by 30 or 40 because they're playing such a great offensive team that after that, how can they possibly be in this game? That's obviously not what happened. So from the player's perspective and the coach perspective, when you have a game like that, that sticks with you, but you get to turn around and play the next day. How do you move on? You know, you're a pro, and that's where the word professionalism gets bandied about. Uh, and it's a real thing. I mean, being a pro is being in the moment uh, and game plan discipline and responding. You know, it's interesting, Travis, as you describe that situation, it just reminds me that those of us that aren't pros and aren't playing are fans and observers, and we're in our own feelings of, how we feel and gosh that really hurt that loss really hurt and we think the players are going to mirror our feelings and wake up wounded (laughs) and they don't (laughs) i mean one of the things about professional basketball that is so exciting is you know you're going to play the best players in the world every night and you know your best effort is going to be required every night you remember that state? I think it was a State Farm commercial. You would know uh, where there were a number of NBA players in there and they they missed like, I don't know what it was, a whole bunch of shots in a row. I think James Harden might have been in there. Dame might have been in there. And it, it was about having a short memory and coming back and and taking the next shot like you've made the last 10 instead. How much of that mindset is reality? It, it It's all of it, because experience is the ultimate teacher uh, in the NBA. And you get experience, uh, A, by playing, going through adversity, going through successes, but you also get it based on watching, learning, and observing. And that's something that this young team, I think, is A, doing a good job of, but B, being coached in a way that the game plan discipline every night has been extremely consistent, win or lose. All right, so let's hear from Malcolm Brogdon talking about that then because uh, when he spoke with us after the win in Indiana, he talked directly about what Chauncey Billups is doing. You know, we're, we're a young team, but we're learning. We're taking strides. Um, we're moving in the right direction. Man. I think Chauncey is doing a hell of a job with us, man. Um, you know, it's a young group, but he's, his, his balance of patience but also pushing us and challenging us, man, I think it's allowing us to take the next step. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic that he mentions, that understanding the patience of a young team but still pushing, still coaching. And he didn't quite directly say it like this, but we've heard it that he's he's not going to accept less than. So when when you see, and, and I mean that in terms of effort, guys are going to miss shots, guys are going to make mistakes, but it's, it's how you bounce back from things like that. So what do you see from Chauncey Billups and this coaching staff? As Yeah, they sit here at, what, 5 and 12 right now, but what do you see from this staff? I see relational accountability. Uh, I see Chauncey you know, really correcting mistakes in real time, uh, unlike any other coach in the NBA. Very few coaches talk to players on their way into timeouts. You know, but Chauncey knows that with a young team, you know, putting the correction close to the mistake is going to get a better response than waiting uh, till either the timeout or to video or to the next game or the next day. And I think the reason why I say the relational component that this staff is coaching with is because each player, I think, is clear about the expectations. And I think Chauncey is 
is consistent about revisiting those expectations and then also empowering. I mean, he's letting young players play through mistakes. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I was on a, a national radio show the other night, and the host asked me, well, you know, with the way the last two years went and the way this year has started off and it's a young team, can, can do you really know what kind of coach Chauncey Billups is? I'm curious what your answer is on that. Uh, I think I do. Uh, I think well, I, that's why I asked you. Yeah, <laughs> I think to the casual observer, you know, you feel like you don't have a body of work to make that determination uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, the inexperience of the roster, uh, the turnover of the roster. Uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, you go, wow, we don't we won't know until we won't know until. Well, watching this team day in and day out and every game and every minute, I, I think there. It's a tree that's bearing fruit in the following ways. The expectations are clear. The accountability is consistent throughout the roster. Uh, Stars, veterans, all the way down to 19 and 20-year-olds. And I think the game plan in terms of how this team is designed to play is clear. But you can put all of those things in a bowl and mix them up and add heat and not get a baked cake. You know, and so that's the part from a fan perspective that's kind of hard. Like, oh, why'd he do that? Or why'd he do that again? Or why don't you just do this? And it's easy to Monday morning quarterback. But to your point about about Chauncey and, and what he's been clear about is how hard they have to play uh, and how they have to play to their strengths. You just made another another baking analogy. You made one on the air in, in the Indiana game, and I had a couple of fans reach out and say, tell Michael that I loved the analogy about a bakery and turnovers. I don't know can, I don't know if you can recapture what it was that you said, but people loved it. Yeah, I think Indiana kept turning the ball over, and I'm like, they must be opening a bakery with all these turnovers. Uh, you know, to what Chauncey talked about. Uh, if you defend Indiana early in the possession, teams that play as fast as they play. Well, but what you're saying, let, let's actually hear that from Chauncey, and then I'll have you comment on it. We had a couple times down the stretch where we didn't show composure in this game as well uh, that we got to talk about. But I think overall, you know, uh, we knew what we were going to have to do to give ourselves a chance in this game, um, playing against a team that is so brilliant offensively like they are. Um, we said we got to win the first 10 seconds of every possession. If we win the first 10 seconds, we got we're going to give ourselves a chance to win. And about for 70% of the game, we did. All right, so there you go with what he said. He also said there were some things that uh, did not go so well late in the game, which we can get to in a minute. But continue that thought. Yeah, you know, teams that play as fast as Indiana plays also have an offensive impatience in the half court. And Chauncey, he knows that and he understands that mentality. So he, he put into the game plan how important it was to win the first 10 seconds of the possession. And so what that means is, You play defense with your offense. So shot selection, court balance, responsibilities. Okay, two are going to the glass, three are getting back. First one backs to the paint, whatever those rules are. That's part of the first 10 seconds. And what we saw in Indiana is they kept taking shots from the perimeter without the board covered and without moving the defense in the second half. And is really how the Blazers were able to stay in command of that game. 
offensively, the Blazers have been a different team the last couple of games. We saw them make a ton of threes against Milwaukee. They had 10 in the first half, only three in the second half. But at times, you know, earlier in the year, teams would try and turn them into a shooting team, and they weren't, and that's when things would fall. And we still see scoring lapses. We saw it against Indiana, but their defense held up in the same time. You look at the last four games, and everything's the, the offensive numbers are skyrocketing. Percentages, assists, um, totals, all, all that stuff. And, of course, when you have Malcolm Brogdon come back, that certainly helps. But, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 games into the season, you look at the numbers, okay, they're the worst offense, worst shooting, worst three-point shooting, fewest assists. And they, they seem to have hit a point where they're, they're heading in the other direction, which is certainly needed to win games. What have you seen in the evolution of the offense that's more of an explanation than just, oh, Malcolm Brogdon's back? Well, Travis, I got to rewind the tape back a little bit to answer that question. And that's what I like about a podcast. You have time to rewind yes. the tape back. So when you lose half of your starting backcourt on opening night and then you lose the other half shortly thereafter, you know, you're sledding uphill in terms of execution. Uh, and now let's fast forward to to what's happening now that has such a better feeling and flow to it. And you know better than anybody, I'm not huge on the data analytics research side. I kind of, everything to me is the eye test. Well, I'm willing to bet that the usage rate of Malcolm Brogdon and Jeremy Grant are the highest usage rates on the team right now. Malcolm Brogdon has a top 10 usage rate in the league right now. And so that has a lot to do with the team settling down and executing better. Because what we're seeing now is good player movement, uh, good ball movement, but decision-making by veterans really setting the tone the majority of the game. With that, the majority of the game includes the last couple of minutes. And against Indiana, Malcolm had the big shot, gave him a two-possession lead late in that one. Here is what Chauncey Billups had to say about why Malcolm had the ball in his hands. There's not a lot of guys on our team, and we all know that, that have been in that moment a ton. You know, um, Malcolm has, Jeremy has, with the ball in their hands. Um, So, you know, for us, you get it to a guy who's been in that moment that if he gets fouled, he can make the free throws, and if not, he can go make the shot for you. So um, we did that. You know, we're successful, and and Malcolm did a great job of, of using his body and his strength to get where he needed to be to make that shot. All right, so it makes sense. You know, Jeremy had a huge game. What do you have? 34 points in that game. Uh, Malcolm with the big shot down the stretch. And if you look at the five wins, what, Toronto, Detroit, now Indiana, um, he has had a few big shots and a b- big stretches down the end of fourth quarters to close out games. That's why you have veterans like that. You know, Travis, the NBA on the one hand is so complicated. Players matriculate into the NBA globally some have some college some don't have some college some are low draft picks you get you get all of these different profiles and it's complicated at the end of the day it's a simple game you get your better or best player the ball in clutch situations and they make plays and we've seen that for the Blazers over the last decade or so that that that's the recipe for success Chauncey's been in that position himself personally more times than any of us can recall or remember and delivered. So he knew he wanted to get the ball in Malcolm Brogdon's hand. The challenge in those possessions, Travis, becomes, but the other team knows that too. 
So how do you move the help defenders and manipulate the defense so that Malcolm can get downhill in a one-on-one situation like he did? And that's coaching. Well, expand on that, though. When you say that, that's coaching. What did you see on that play? So Malcolm's going one-on-one, and he ends up coming up with the big play. But when you talk about coaching in that spot, to, to make sure that he doesn't get doubled and have to pass out of it and find someone in a spot that's not in a comfortable position to shoot, how does the coaching apply there? So Malcolm starts at the top of the floor, and I believe this is out of a timeout. Yep. So Malcolm's at the top of the floor with the ball, and he's looking at the clock. He's time and score. He's evaluating the defense. But he moves from the top of the floor three or four dribbles to the left. And when he does that, he declares a side. And once you declare a side, no defender can cross the midpoint. And then you exchange your offensive players on the weak side so that defenders either become head turners or they have to step outside the lane. And then now Malcolm can just break his guy down on the bounce and get to his shot. There's something that I want to bring up with you. And you and I have different ways that we look at things. It's one of the reasons we work so well together. You're more in the here and now. What's happening in this game? How are we breaking down exactly what we're seeing right now? Maybe the last game, maybe the next game. And you don't look too far beyond that either way. If, if I'm reading that correctly from the years that we've worked together, is that, is that generally the idea of how you look at things? Yeah, continue to set the stage. Yes. I think of things more in the big picture, right? I'm thinking about the draft picks, right? I'm thinking about the fact that we got a pick from Golden State and they're not playing very well and that might end up being a lottery pick. I'm thinking about how things are moving down the line, but I'm also looking at it right now. So one of the things that I hear from fans is that, you know, obviously you want to win games, right? Winning games right now today, that's important for the coaches, that's important for the players. But in the big picture, you want to develop Scoot Henderson. You want to develop Shaden Sharp. You want to develop Tumani Kamara. So when you talk about the usage rates of Jeremy Grant, and Malcolm Brogdon, and that Jeremy is the one who's carrying you through the game. Malcolm, a lot of times, is the one who's coming up with the big play at the end of the game. Shaden Sharp's not the one taking that last shot. Scoot Henderson's not the one taking that last shot. Kamara is the one who's in there defensively on those plays, so he's definitely learning by fire defending the best player in those situations. So in that mix of trying to win games right now and trying to develop that talent, it's a fine balance when you have your veterans taking those shots and your younger players either on the bench in the case of Scoot Henderson or on the other side of the floor watching the play and being a part of the play but not being directly involved with it like Shaden Sharp is. How do you see that dynamic? You know, I think that that's the dynamic that you have to manage as an organization. What's your vision? What's your direction? What's your player development philosophy? And I think what we've seen uh, for the Blazers, really, ever since I've been a broadcaster, I'm now in my 17th year, is players in year one or two, you know, spend a lot of time learning by watching. You know, I think Dane was maybe the only one that didn't. And I think Scoot was slotted to be similar. I mean, to day one, learn by playing. Uh, You know, but it changed. You know, the reality is injuries change the equation. You know, but Travis, when you have usage rates high for veteran players, it's concerning. You know, and Chauncey would probably be the first to tell you that the long-term plan this season is not to have Malcolm Brogdon in the top 10 usage rate in the league. 
you know, you just, you know, you start becoming concerned about a veteran wearing down mentally and physically. Uh, but when you don't have the health, you know, you do what you have to do for winning games. Uh, and so I think this team is uniquely positioned in that they're right in the middle, Travis. You and I talk a lot about how other teams did it, right? Uh, and, and this team is is really walking in their own blueprint because adversity changes. It's like a boxer. I think it was Mike Tyson that said, everybody has a plan until they get hit. <laughs> you know, and so the plan was for Scoot to come off, for for Malcolm to come off the bench, for Scoot to start, and Malcolm accepted the role. I remember that was clearly stated by Chauncey yeah. and Malcolm at the start of the season. What well, has changed? It, it has, and Scoot missed three weeks with the injury. And to me, he looks a whole lot more comfortable after sitting and watching for three weeks. And now that he's not starting, the pressure might not be there. Because yeah, he never really faced any criticism coming up, right? Now he has a bit because he struggled at first and he sat for three weeks. And what have you seen from him, if anything different at all, since he's returned from injury? He's really excited. <laughs> I mean, almost hyper on the basketball court. Just, I want to make plays. I want to make 10 plays at once. You know, I'm just, and so he's playing with this motor. Uh, that's a good thing. And I think the team is, as I look at it, they're extending the defense with Scoot to use some of that energy really trying to help him get balanced, you know, because offensively you can't play at that speed as a point guard, you know, against set defenses, you know, and so Scoot is learning the nuances of, of pace. Uh, and then on top of that will become change of pace, change of direction. And then on top of that comes reading defenses. So now moving forward, two more games on this road trip, Cleveland and Utah, then uh, a couple of days off. I don't. I don't even. I haven't seen the schedule yet. I'm. I'm assuming we go back home for a couple of days before we go to San Francisco. I hope so because I didn't pack enough clothes and stuff for beyond the Utah game. Then the game at home against Dallas. Then back out on the road, and you know, most of the rest of December is is home after that. So you hope to get Anthony Simons back in the next couple of weeks, maybe around December 14th ish, uh, give or take. He's been out there, you know, working out. He looks like he's, you know, within a couple of weeks of returning. And then that's going to add another dynamic once Ant returns until that point. What do you want to see? I want to see this team continue to play the way that they're playing. Uh, Scoot developing, coming off the bench, Malcolm Brogdon really being the voice of reason on the floor and I think the team has done two other things offensively that have been really, really good. One is getting DeAndre the ball in positions that he's comfortable and effective, and you're seeing how talented he is. Yeah. And two is getting Jeremy Grant the ball in positions where he can play in isolation because he's one of the better players in the league, you know, one -on -one, in one-on-one -on -one situations. This answer could change week to week. But today, right now, as we record this, do you feel good? about where this team is going? Oh, I feel probably better than good. Uh, I mean, I feel optimistic because whenever you play hard and you play together, you have a chance. So there's three E's that I always talk about, energy, effort, and execution. And you can't tweak or develop your execution until you have the foundation of energy and effort. So this team's working on execution. And that's why we're seeing role identification, Malcolm, Jeremy, DeAndre, and when Ant comes back, all of a sudden the usage for Malcolm goes down 
Ant commands a lot of attention that generates space for others. And so I, I, I like the trajectory that this team is on. Okay, unrelated. So as we get now into December, one of the things that you and I and the rest of the traveling party have to deal with is managing holiday stuff around family time around when we're home. Have you figured out or maybe you already have? I don't know. Christmas tree decorations when you're I see by the look on your face, the answer is no. But how you and your family, how do you guys figure that out and manage with especially with the unknown of that road trip next week? So great question. And thank you. And my wife is phenomenal. We've been married 38 years and I go on the road and I come back and the Thanksgiving uh, decorations are up. And so I am anticipating Christmas decorations being up when I get home and me not having much to do, but go get some eggnog and flip channels. <laughs> so I, I don't do a lot of the decorating and changing of the seasons in our home. Yeah. Uh, I do the taking down. I'm the take down the tree, take down the lights. My wife does that. And then my wife does the Christmas, uh, the Christmas shopping. So I just have to take care of her and she takes care of everything else. That's nice. I uh, My wife texted me the other day and was like, hey, I'm basically done shopping for the boys. I'm like, oh, didn't even know you started. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. So you no longer have to go out into the tree farm, get on your knees with the, the little handsaw with the blade that's going to break and, and cut it yourself. No, I've paid my dues. We've had we've had our share of years where all of those things happen. And, and this is probably not the greatest thing to say for our fans in the Pacific Northwest. But we are now an artificial tree family. <laughs> and so we kind of just get it out. We pop it up. And, and that's how it goes. But for me, Travis, I have the challenge that my wife has a December birthday. So I have to deal with the birthday and not let the birthday acknowledgement get overshadowed by Christmas. What's the date? Because we have the same challenge. My wife's birthday is December 7th. Mine's is December 3rd. So that means I got to get off to playing with gifts. <laughs> <laughs> See, my wife gave me a list of the stuff she wants, and I just started buying stuff. And then depending on when stuff arrives, I'm like, all right, that'll be birthday. That'll be Christmas. And and hope that hope that it works out. No, my wife hit me with a very unique. I mean, my wife is low maintenance. And I mean, I love my wife to death, but she, seldom does she ask for stuff, you know. Uh, and so this was different because I said, you know, honey, birthday's coming up. I'm going to be on the road. You know, is there something I should know? And she basically said, I need to get caught up on a few things. Cash will do. <laughs> uh, that works for me. Michael, as always, I enjoy the, the time that we have to really get to, to sit down and unpack some of this stuff. And then we get right back at it against the Cavs on Thursday. Looking forward to it, man. Always enjoy it. All right, as always, you can hear every Trailblazers radio broadcast on the Trailblazers radio network. You can head over to trailblazers.com to see where the affiliates are near you or in the Portland area, 620 AM, Rip City Radio, our flagship station. And, of course, you can always stream on the NBA app if you're outside the area or on the Trailblazers app if you are in the Portland area. Thanks so much for listening to the Section 113 podcast. We'll see you next time.